Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And today, Marjorie, we're talking money, honey. Hey. Money, 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 money. Listen, money, the thing that makes the world go round. Money, the thing that we (laughs) always wish that we didn't want or we didn't need, but we do want and we do need. And it is shocking how much baggage comes along with your wallet, right? Oh, always. We like to think that it's love that makes the world go round, and it does. (laughs) But it also takes money. And I think it's foundationally one of the things that defines a relationship, how you and whoever you're in relationship with talk, deal, and spend money. We're having a guest today who I'm so excited about, and we'll introduce her in just a second. She talks about money in a way that no one has talked about money, has it hasn't resonated with me like it does with her. Can oh, read of yeah. all the experts and all these people, yep. and they're great. And then as soon as I started following our guest today, I started going, wait a second, this is really great. And I kind of became obsessed with her. I'm like a super fan of her. <laughs> But it's, and I think, fangirl. yes, and a lot of our ideas about money go back to how we were raised. And I don't know about you, Marjorie, but I mean, I was raised by parents who are really wonderful in that they wanted their girls to be strong and independent. I mean, it was like, and they always said, because I think because my dad worked in nonprofit for so long, I mean, and really ended his career in nonprofits. But it took them a very long time to feel financially stable. I remember as a kid interesting, being nervous to ask my dad for field trip money because oh. I knew that asking for that $4 to go on the field trip was going to be a stress. Right. And and so I took that with me. And so I think the positive is, I mean, I'm a hustler. So I'm yeah. always working. I've been working since I was 10. I mean, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't working, but at the same time, I think then it is very tempting for me to attach some of my self-worth to my money. Yeah, it is all about how you were raised and how your parents dealt with money. And my situation was a little bit different. I remember my life being, and my parents might have a different story to this because it's how it hit me as a child as opposed to the reality of it. But for me, it felt very boomer bust. There were lots of really good times. And then I can remember things being a little weird. And so what that left me with, as my son calls me, is I'm a squirrel. (laughs) He says, you are such a squirrel, mom. You just hide nuts everywhere. You know, so I always have to make sure. So I... I always felt, and this is the downside of sort of that boomer bust cycle, I think I always had a little bit of fear around money. And what that does is it's even when times are good, I don't know that I could fully appreciate and enjoy it. So that that's a little that's a little weird for me. We totally can. I mean, everybody can agree on this. I mean, when money isn't great, money is a stress. It impacts the entire house, and that's why of it's such an it important does. conversation to have here on Best to the Nest. Because without a healthy relationship with money, it's really hard to have healthy relationships, and it's hard to have your home 
feel great. And then also on the flip side, a lot of us are using money that we have if you if you have money and you're just wasting it on crap that's actually making yeah. you more stressful. And so that's why I'm so excited about our guest today. Her name is Sarah Von Bargen. Do you love that her name is Von I Bargen? I do. She was meant for this life's work. <laughs> and she is the creator of yesandyes.org. So yesandyes.org. I kind of just got it. I know. It's really good. <laughs> Her blog is a lifestyle blog, and I like that she calls it, she says it's for smart, funny people. Okay. And what I've really taken from it is it encourages readers to kind of redefine what brings them joy and fulfillment. And then also she's really into the action of changing your habits to make a better life. She's created an e-course oh, on money that's good. and happiness, and she delivers daily inspiration on Instagram. And that's where I discovered her and then, of course, became her biggest fan. Sarah, we're so happy to have you on Best of the Nest. Oh, my gosh. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for the kind words, Elizabeth. That is very sweet. I love following you on Instagram and being vicariously <laughs> through your kitchen remodel because that is not something I will ever do. No, and I won't tell you the cost of it, Sarah, because if I told you the cost of it, you would be like, you need to take my e-course on money saving. Um, exactly. But it's interesting. Okay, so Sarah, you talk a lot about and and this has to do with the blog, Marjorie. She talks about even on in lifestyle and travel and all these different things in our lives. And at the core, I really feel and tell me if I'm on track here, Sarah, that it's about letting go of the idea of what we think we're supposed to be or what we think we're supposed to have. There's the key one. And then really at the core, figure out what brings us joy, and then are using our resources accordingly. Is that am I on track? Yes, yes, yes. I essentially teach how to align your spending, the way you spend your time, money, and energy with your happiness. Yeah. And so one of the things that I have found lacking in pretty much every conversation about personal finance is we all assume that everyone's goal is homeownership and certainly homeownership of like a four-bedroom, three-bathroom variety. Right, right. We all assume that everybody's goal is a four-year liberal arts degree or a car that was that was like a late model car. We all sort of have these assumptions about what people's financial goals are. And I don't know about you guys, but I have certainly had the experience where I don't take the time to consider if a goal is right for me. I spend literally tens of thousands of dollars and years of my life pursuing a version of happiness or a version of success right. that I've been led to believe will make me happy and I get there and it doesn't make me happy. And now, like I literally got a master's degree because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. It oh. cost me $18,000 in a year and a half of my life and I used it for a year and a half yep. and then left that career field. And there you and were. And I think that, yeah. And I think that most of us, many of us have some version of that. <laughs> One of the things that I teach in my classes is an exercise where we literally print out our bank account statements and our credit card statements, and we go through every single purchase and put it into one of three categories. You use a highlighter. So you print out oh, your this credit card statement. You get a, a green highlighter, a yellow highlighter, a pink highlighter, like, like a stop sign. And if the purchase brought you joy, you highlight it green. If it's an unavoidable purchase, like rent or insurance or a mortgage, that's yellow. And if it's a regrettable purchase, like it's something that you bought on sale and you haven't worn. It's a purchase that you don't even really remember or recognize. It's a subscription that you don't use, but you haven't canceled. You highlight it as pink. And then you oh. add up those categories and you honestly probably cry. I'm not kidding. It yep. is very common for my students to, to have cry. an incredibly emotional reaction to this. Yeah. Because we all say things like travel is important to me. Family is important to me. And then we look at our credit card statements. Nothing. 
And maybe we've spent like $400 on travel over the year, but we've somehow spent $4,000 at Target. On the clearance aisle. Yes, yes. Stuff that we wore once and then donated. So I I work really hard to teach people to figure out what makes them happy and then make their life align with that. Sarah, what's so interesting about that is I had to go through that sort of in real time because when we moved from St. Paul, we had put a lot of stuff in storage We had a basement, so there was a lot of stuff in the basement, and I just had made the pact with myself that I was not going to move anything this time that I really didn't want. So what that required Mm -hmm. me doing was going through every item that was a part of my life for the most part. Some of it Mm -hmm. was still in crates, and some of the crates just went. But for the most part, I would say I went through 80% of what I had purchased over the last really 25 years of my life in my marriage with kids. So it was all Mm -hmm. sort of that extra kid stuff, all of the extra kid clothes. Everything had sort of gotten shoved in the basement or a storage unit. And I would say that was probably the hardest, one of the hardest emotional months of my life for exactly that reason. What was the highlighter color for waste, for regrets? Pink. For pink, yeah. The pink pile was (laughs) enormous. And it was really hard to reconcile because I like to think I'm kind of a saver. I like to think that I'm really practical. But when I had to face all of the things that I had bought because they were cute, because I thought I should have it, whatever the reason, they were in the regrettable pile. And it was thousands of dollars easily. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you think about, okay, this is like $4,000 worth of stuff that I didn't need. And then you think about the stuff that truly makes you happy. How many times could you have flown across the country to visit your grandma? How many yep. How many things could you have done with your kids? How many therapy sessions? Yeah. Yeah. Better yeah. medication or yeah. doing like important nonprofits? Yeah. How many things could you have spent that money on that would have improved your life in a much more tangible way? Absolutely. It's, well, and it all comes down, I mean, we're attaching money to self-worth. And so we're using money to give us what we think is going to make us feel worthy and mm-hmm. turns out i mean just like so many other things that it's not like clearance crap even though we think in yeah. that moment so what i want to know sarah is how do you get yourself from being a person because there is joy there is fun and happy in that little oh, yeah. in that little moment of being like oh i bought this really cute little stationary thing for super cheap or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. there's adrenaline so i mean there's some fun <laughs> and happy in that but then how do you how do you walk that line of going okay, yeah, I'm getting this for a great deal and I need this versus I'm just getting this just to fill some sort of void. I mean, it's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the answer is, I mean, probably more complicated than we can cover, but I would say the three things it starts with is number one, truly figuring out what makes you happy. Number two, understanding your spending triggers. And number three, creating sort of contingency plans for when you know you're going to be triggered to spend. So I teach a course about goal setting, I teach courses about money, and I teach courses about habits. And all of these courses center around creating goals, habits, and, and spending that, that makes you happier. And I know what makes me happy, and so, like, I built the course rather silly, believing that everybody else knew what they made them happy. I thought I was starting with, like, okay, you're taking this course, and you know what makes you happy, so then we're going to, like, set goals and create habits around that. Oh. And what I discovered was actually many, many people don't actually know what makes them happy. Yeah. So a lot of this starts with the three things that I tell people to do. Number one, and this sounds rather obvious, but just literally notice when you're happy 
and make a note of it in your phone. And I know that people are listening and they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then they're not going to do it. Truly, I know it feels nerdy, but truly actually do it. Like I have a doc in my phone. And anytime I notice that I'm really happy, I add to the doc. I love this. When possible, I want you to try and be as specific as you can. Not just hanging out with my friends. But for me personally, I love hanging out with my friends on like the middle of a weekday because it feels so like, ooh, I'm getting away with something. (laughs) You know, I've designed this life that allows this to happen. So doing things at a time of day or week that maybe aren't available to other people because they're working in 95, that makes me really happy. But I had to get specific about that. Being in nature, but specifically being like alone in nature, it doesn't make me happy to be on like a hiking trail when there are like 17 people around me. Yeah, yeah. But if I am hiking and... I can't hear anybody else talking. I can't see any highways. That makes me really happy. So getting incredibly specific when you notice something making you happy, get incredibly specific about it and make note of it. And also the other important reason that we want to make note of it. So this master's degree that I got and I don't really use um, is in applied (laughs) linguistics. And one of the things that we, that I studied a lot was about neural pathways and the way like we create thoughts through what we think and the words that we tell ourselves. And when you take the time to write something with your hand or even type it in your phone, when you put your thoughts into words, you're digging neural pathways and you're making it easier to have those thoughts again. So when you write down, I love to be alone in nature, it's going to be easier for you to remember that. Great. And when when you feel like I'm unhappy and I want to go shopping – it's going to be easier for you to remember, oh, actually, it makes me happy to be alone in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, I want to have great. a cocktail or I am unhappy and I want to eat a bag of chips. I mean, whatever yeah. it is that you're filling the void with. And we probably all do like a combination of those things. Oh, yes. Of yes. course we do. And then you feel like that sense of regret. Okay. That's really interesting. Elizabeth, yeah. do you do yeah. this? So- do, I, do you do this? Yeah. Do you write down the moments when you feel happy? No, I haven't. I haven't listened that much to Sarah yet. This is why I invited her on the podcast. Because <laughs> you know what? We today. <laughs> we made a pact that we were going to make our beds, and I haven't done that yet. I think we replaced the making the beds with this one. Yes. Although the making of the bed does make me feel very, happy. very happy. Happy. Okay. So, Sarah, I wonder, um, and, and maybe this is like backing up a little bit, but when it comes to when you look at people that you're working with and then also maybe your own experience, when you look at what financial instability or always filling those voids with shopping, what that does to a home and a family. I mean, what are what are we talking about here in terms of the the trouble with not getting a handle on this stuff? Oh my gosh. I don't want to scare anybody, but it really affects every aspect of your life and it really affects every aspect of the lives of the people that you share your home with. Yeah. I mean, the amount of stress that it puts on kids, that it puts on somebody who maybe already is predisposed to either physical or mental health issues. And also when you have to make decisions from a place of financial instability, you end up doing, maybe you end up taking a job that you really don't like, which then makes you more stressed out, which then triggers a bunch of health issues, or you are working super long hours. So you're not around your kids and they start acting out and making bad choices because you're you're not around to parent them. Mm -hmm. You start sleeping poorly. And the statistics around how long-term sleep deprivation affects your health, it's one of the main contributors to Alzheimer's. Like there are so many really big things that happen when you're constantly worried about money. And And I I will say, and this is sort of an aside, but there are people who are very financially stable who are still worried about money and that's a different issue. But I think most, most of us who are worried about money, it's 
it's legitimate. The average American has $6,000 worth of credit card debt, and 40% of middle-class Americans could not navigate an unexpected bill of $400. Mm-hmm. So that worry Whoa. is real. What was that? Say that again, the last one. Uh, 40% of middle-class Americans, and I think middle-class is a household that earns sixty grand. Right. 40% of middle-class Americans could not handle an unexpected bill of $400. They don't have that money in a bank account somewhere. Right. And talk about stress right there when you know that you can't meet something like that. And I think what's interesting, too, is sort of the low-grade feeling, and I I certainly know that a lot of people feel this way, that low-grade feeling, I think, which we allow the culture to sort of stamp on us, which is we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough. And I think that, that idea of... I think you said it earlier, Elizabeth, is what we think we're supposed to have. Mm-hmm. So those two mm-hmm. things together, we the feeling we don't have enough and then the, the things that we feel that we should have, all of that comes down to how you spend your money, too. And I think when you go back to that idea of credit card debt, so much of that goes to, well, I'm supposed to have this, so it's worth going into debt for. And, that's, yeah. and that just begins that sort of dangerous sort of treadmill of stress, of money stress. Yeah. I think like yeah. 90% of the decisions we make that we do because we think we're supposed to do it yeah. is, is mm-hmm. not – they're not great decisions. I no. mean, it's like oh, yeah. that is how you end up in failed marriages. That is how you end up in jobs that you hate. That is how you end up with – I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but a hollow existence. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but okay. – And one of the things – Hold on, hold on. That's such a big thing you just said. A hollow existence. (laughs) I'm with you. You're right. Thank you, Sarah. I know the title of this podcast needs to be How to Avoid a Hollow Existence. (laughs) Because it is, I mean, it's so, it's true though. It's true. It just sounds so funny because it's just so big. Yeah, it is very. Okay, sorry. No, it's, it's totally true. I mean, that, that is the case where you just end up feeling so empty because no matter how much stuff you're trying to shove to fill the void, if you're not filling yourself up with what you really need, you're never going to fill the void. Yes. Two things that I teach my students that can help with this. One thing, and this is something that I very much practice as well, is like being incredibly intentional about the media that you consume and being aware of how it affects you. Um, So I I travel very extensively. I've been to 38 countries. You guys, I cannot read Travel and Leisure magazine. Mm. Like I am on September 25th. I am leaving for a month in Morocco and the UAE, and I still can't handle reading Travel and Leisure magazine. Why? Yes. Because a lot of because I've been to a lot of the countries that they're talking about, but my travel experience did not look what they're portraying in Travel and Leisure. And it makes me retroactively feel bad about the fact that when I was in Vietnam, it did uh, it did not look like that. Yeah. So I had a friend very understandably bought me a subscription to Travel and Leisure as a gift, as a birthday gift, which makes sense. I could understand why somebody would think that right. I would want that magazine. And two Two um, months into the subscription, I called them and canceled it. And they were like, oh, it's, you know, it says it's a gift. Like, it's already paid for. And I was like, I literally want you to stop sending it to my house. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't even want I – don't, I don't want to get it and then, like, bring it into work and leave it in the – I just don't want to ever look at it. I very intentionally curate my Instagram feed. Yeah. So I follow design bloggers who – They will redo their kitchen on a budget of $1,000 or they're like a single mom and they live in a 700 square foot house Yeah. or 
because when I follow people who live in half a million dollar houses and they remodel a perfectly good bathroom and it costs them 20 grand. And meanwhile, I'm in my South Minneapolis bungalow right. with my original bathroom, which P.S. I think is a very cute bathroom. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it makes me not love the things that I love. It makes me feel less than. This is a very big deal, what you're saying. And this goes back to, I mean, this is such a bigger conversation, but it goes back to all the studies studies that they're doing now about how Instagram and Facebook make people feel. Mm -hmm. Is because when you see something and then you start to think, well, they've got that, I should be doing that. That's really interesting about curating what sort of comes through your own filter. But what I love about what Sarah is saying is that it's really, you don't have to look at it as, I can't have this. It's an opportunity to decide how you're going to feel and yep. how you're going to look yep. at things. And I totally feel that way. I mean, I, and mine isn't necessarily as much about stuff that I have. It's more about how people live. If I get the sense that I'm following someone and their life feels unrealistic to me, I just unfollow. Mm-hmm. I just mute that person. Right. Because yeah. I, I really, I mean, there was a time when I was sort of hate following people. <laughs> We've all done it. Like, I love to hate on this. And so I'm going to follow it. And then I realized, yeah, what am I doing? You. I mean, if yeah. it's driving me crazy. And the funny thing, you guys, is that there are certain people that I follow on social media that I adore in real life. And when I interact with them in real life, I have such a wonderful experience. And it makes me like them less when I follow them on social media and so I have to mute them like I don't you think that's interesting that you Sarah is that normal I mean what's happening here (laughs) no I mean I know exactly what you mean because I've I know people who like I know the reality of their life and then I know their social media life and it makes me feel a little bit like no, that's, that's not what your living room looks like. That's, yes. I know that's not the reality of your marriage. And again, they are they are totally allowed to put whatever they want on social media. Yep. But I think because I work very hard to be like, this is my, you know, like, this is my purse that I got at Goodwill for $7. Some level, I kind of expect that level of transparency from other people, which may or may not be fair. Yeah. And you also have to re- recognize that, I mean, it's not always about them. It's about you. It's about how are you taking yeah, the information and what perspective are, are you coming from? Sarah, right. I want to talk about how you look at lattes. And I don't even remember oh, yeah. where you posted this or when, but, you know, I'm always consuming what you're putting out. And so I, I love to... Just like get your little tidbits and Sarah's blog posts, which I get, I don't even ever look at the website. I just get the emails sent to me and I read them and then click Mm -hmm. through and I love it. And you talk about lattes in such an interesting way because a lot of financial people love to talk about the latte factor and they love to be like, if you just cut out your daily latte every single day, then you would save Mm -hmm. this amount of money a year. And that is what kind of drives me crazy about an overly simplistic view about money and where... I love your view is that you, you have a more holistic view about money and joy and happiness and how to use our money to bring us more of those things. So your, the way you look at lattes isn't about just cutting it out every day. It's more about the mindfulness factor of it. Can you explain that? Yes. So what I have found for myself and with my students, like the issue is not the latte itself. It's not, it's not like the latte that you buy on Sunday and that you drink it while you're like window shopping on Grand Avenue and catching up with your best friend, that is not an issue. It's the like latte that you buy on your way to work every day. And then you like drink it in the car while you sit in traffic and you don't even realize that you're doing it. And you don't even particularly enjoy it. The issue is not the beautiful 
$150 Italian leather boots that you bought, and you're going to get them resold a million times. The issue is the 17 pairs of discounted yep. flats that fall apart in three weeks. Yeah. And so, and, and the other thing that I think is, if we if we constantly deny ourselves things that we enjoy, if we say I'm never allowed to have anything nice, I'm never allowed to treat myself, that is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And it's also like when we do that, we're a million times more likely to kind of like freak out and overcorrect and fall off the wagon and have a giant spending spree. Yeah, spend money on yourself, do things that make you happy, but do it on purpose. When you Spread little slices of joy throughout your week. You're much less likely to find yourself in the checkout line at Target with 150 thing, 150 dollars worth of stuff you don't need. Yeah. Well, this goes back to, and I think you know, I've been taking notes all along the way because this is so wonderful and so necessary. And what I feel like is we've really hit point number one, which is find what makes you happy. And write it down specifically. That's got to be the beginning for everybody. And and it's funny when you when you started talking about that, about how we don't do that. I think that's so true that we don't really, really look at what is it that I need? What are the little bits of sparkle through the week that I need? And to write mm-hmm. that down and to make sure that you start knowing that. And then I love the extra bonus of, you know, that starts making a new neural pathway so that mm-hmm. your mind goes to that. Because after you said that, and this is why we're going to have to have you back so many times, <laughs> you started talking about spending triggers. And we haven't mm-hmm. even really touched that yet. And I think that's a huge huge issue. Why are you spending money? What triggers you to spend money? What's happening in your brain when you spend money on something you don't need? That's that's Mm -hmm. enormous. We have to have you back. Well, and then it gets even bigger because then you end up with all this stuff that you don't need. I mean, when you talk about the 17 pairs of flats that are Mm -hmm. cheap and crappy and don't even feel that great and don't look good for whatever, it's you also are bringing in 17 crappy things into your house. That yep. you look mm-hmm. at every day and that are taking yeah. up space and that are just making you feel bad. I mean, that's the difference with spending is that mm-hmm. you have this constant reminder because the junk is everywhere. It, You know, yeah. someone told me a long time ago, I think it was somebody we interviewed on the morning show, Elizabeth, and we were talking about money. And I think it was a, like a decluttering expert. And they said, one of the things you have to think about when you make a purchase is that when you make that purchase, you're taking ownership of that good. You mm-hmm. now are responsible for it in the world. <laughs> like, like you have to give oh it that you have to give it that much weight because that's the point, Elizabeth. When you bring it home, now it's a part of your family. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now it's in there. Oh. And I thought that always that- sticks with me when I look at something that I think is super cute or like it's a painting that I love or it's like a print that I love. But I'll own this. Forever now. Do I want ownership of it? Like when you really think of that idea of what does it mean to own something, it means you're packing it up and you're moving it if you move. It means you have to look at it every day or it means you're paying for storage or it's going to be in your basement or garage. If you go through that process, that really is very discouraging to buying anything. How much is that stuff weighing us down, Sarah? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So much. And like you said, you know, like it's like living when you're surrounded by things that you regret buying. It's like living in a museum of bad choices. Yeah. Or like (laughs) opening your. It's like living in a house with. Oh my God. I know. It would be like saying to all of your ex boyfriends, like, come live with me. Oh my God. So I can constantly be reminded of my mistakes. (laughs) 
Yes, and like and like opening your kitchen cupboard and like seeing like get you know seeing your Instapot or whatever and being like, oh, remember when I bought that and spent hundreds of dollars? Like it just reminds you of past mistakes, and then you think about how much it cost and how else you could be using that money. And the other, so two tricks that I use in this situation is particularly for clothes. Before, don't look at the price tag. Try something on. And if you and then decide in your mind how much you would be willing to pay for it, and then look at the price tag. This is good. Oh, that's good. That's great. Because so many of us will try on something that's pretty lackluster, right? And we'll be like, oh, you know, like if I put a belt with it, or like this is fine for work, or I guess I need another. You can't have too many black sweaters, and oh, it's on sale, and we'll like talk ourselves into it. But if you didn't know that it was on sale would you want it probably not right that's great yeah that's really true and that's the other thing low it's it's funny how it, it's actually low prices that i think that cause us to waste more money than high prices yeah. absolutely for absolutely. for many of us because it's so easy to go like oh it's fine but it and it's only 7.99 so i'm right. just going to get yeah. it and then i mean you do that 20 times and guess what you guys you got a pair of Manola Blahniks on your hand and you don't have I mean that's really what it ends up being and you could have had the one thing that you really would love and like would wear for 15 years but instead you yeah. have 15 things that you're going to wear for one month and then just be like now what do I do with this and then feel guilty when you get rid of it yeah absolutely and I also tell my students ask yourself would I be willing to stand in line for 30 minutes in order to buy this because oh, I don't know about you good. guys but for me like nope. there's almost nothing in the world <laughs> yep. like nope. it would have to be the world's most perfect thing at the world's lowest price for me to stand in line for half an hour. Yeah. That's a good one. My only thing with that is like really great restaurants. The only thing I'll wait for are yeah. really great restaurants. <laughs> but see, then you've thought about it. Yeah. Then you've, and I think yeah. that goes back to that's what's so smart is just even if you just ask yourself those two questions, that's put you on the path of intentional buying. And that's what it's mm-hmm. about is just doing it with intention as opposed to just saying blindly, oh, this is cute and it's cheap. I'm going to buy it. So, Sarah, I want to know, too, and, I mean, it's so brutal to me that we don't have enough time with you, and that's why, of course, you have to promise to come back. But I want to know what happens to you with all of these students you've worked with and then from your own experience and then your friends and your family when you get a handle on this. And so when you are intentionally buying things and intentionally consuming things, and then even before that, when you have figured out what really fills you up and brings you joy – what is the transformation in life that can happen? Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, not to overstate it, but it totally changes your life. <laughs> I, have, I, have, uh, I have students who, and I mean, of course, the results vary dramatically based on the student, based on what they're trying to accomplish and even like what city they live in. But I have students who have used these methods to put 50000 save $50,000 to put a down payment on a house. Oh, my gosh. Like, I have people who have left careers, who have changed careers, who have left a partner who was totally not right for them, but they were staying with for financial reasons. Like just having, and and like, of course, having this great financial freedom is lovely, but also like having confidence in yourself that you can trust yourself to make good decisions, to believe and understand that the decisions you're making for yourself are in your own best interest, to like start filling your calendar with stuff that really actively brings you joy instead of just agreeing to like every happy hour or every shopping trip or every barbecue just because that's what you think you should do. It it really translates to 
everything. Like once you start spending money on purpose, you also start spending your time on purpose. And you also start advocating for yourself. Like one of the things I teach in Bank Boost, we we have a sticker chart um, and I make, I don't make, I ask my students to do 20 (laughs) uncomfortable things as related to money. So this might be something like asking for a raise, asking your sister to pay you back, negotiating your bills down. And when you build that muscle of advocating for yourself and being willing to get uncomfortable, it translates to every other area of your life as well. Yeah, it is really incredible. It's total freedom. And then it's freedom to really enjoy things. And then also, I mean, it's opening the back door of your house and it's stress flying out the window. I mean, it is just stress flying right out. And the dynamic and the impact that that can have on your relationship and your children that are in your house and your dog that's in your house. (laughs) I mean, all of those beings that you're caring for, it's just imagine this huge weight being lifted. And and modeling appropriately, which I don't know that I have. It's hard to know what you've modeled about money with your own kids. And I don't know that I've always modeled the best. I don't know that I was the best model with my own children. But Elizabeth, I have a proposal for you. What do you got? And for you too, Sarah. So here's what I'd like to do for the next 30 days or so. Let's you and I keep that little notice when we're happy. Notice when we're happy. And keep a little doc, Elizabeth, of what makes us happy. And then let's have Sarah back. And let's talk about that a little bit. And let's talk about it a little bit because I'd like to get into that and then into that idea of of triggering and how to create the new money neuro pathways. Okay, this is so fun. And then everyone who's listening can do the same same challenge. So notice when we're happy. And then we'll get Sarah back and we'll analyze it and, yeah. and it'll be great fun. Sarah, you are yeah. a joy. See, this is, a, did oh, I not tell you, Marjorie? You She's just so. You're wonderful. It's really wonderful. Oh, and it's just a view. It's again, it's like, and I feel not enough people know about what you're doing because you are doing something that is such a dynamic shift from the way that we've dealt with money for so long. And so I just love that you have this holistic view of it. And that's why it fits so well in with Best to the Nest. Sarah, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, ladies. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Oh, God, it takes my breath away. She's the best. She's the best, but again, this is so, so important. And I think it'll be, I think we just need to keep following on this because when you said it opens your door, it opens the, if you can, if you can get control of money, you can open your back door and the stress can go out, out the door. It's and I think that's so true. important. Yeah, it's really, really good. Good challenge, Marjorie. I like good. that. All right, let's good. do it. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. And if you have a moment, give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Marjorie, do you have a new review you want to share? From Hazel and Garrett's mom. As a working mother with two young children, I can so relate to these women. I totally identify with Elizabeth as I have a four-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy as well. But I love how Marjorie can look back and reflect on that time and share such wisdom. I seriously take notes with almost every episode. I want my husband to listen to. Thank you, Hazel and Garrett's mom. Um, we, we're trying. And we're taking notes. We took notes today. I know. And that's please. the only downside to this podcast. If you listen in the car, it's hard to take it's notes. It's hard to take notes. <laughs> and please reach out to us. You can find us both on Instagram at Best to the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. That was fabulous. Good times. Until next time. See ya.